What's up, scumbags? Welcome back to Caller Radio. We have a great show for you today. Tom Giles is back from wherever he's been these three months. Maybe he'll let us know what grand adventure took him away from us. Uh, right now, you're listening to Bone Saver from Coffins off of their album Ancient Torture. And today, we're going to have a little more substantial, a little meatier topic than we did last episode, in which, as you'll recall, we pretty much just drank beer and told ghost stories. Today, we're going to investigate style, musical style, writing style, and how that influences a band's identity, uh, and a lot of other topics that veer dangerously close to philosophy of art topics. Um, But we're going to try real hard, Tom and I, to not disappear up our own asses on this. So stay tuned and enjoy Bone Saver by Coffins. sitting here at the apartment of Mr. Tom Giles, who we have not seen or heard from since his disappearance three months ago. What happened, Tom? Oh, there's a whole lot of things happened, but um, I'm back, and that's the most important thing. 
Uh, I have different political ideologies now, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> five, some... five times a day, he excuses himself. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it's all about, but he's got a neat rug that he won't let me touch. Yeah, God, I wish. I wish. <laughs> uh, we are on my piles, pile-stopping uh, cushions right now, which yeah, yes. are not very comfortable either. <laughs> so what uh, are we talking about today, huh? Oh, uh, yes. A. I've a. been Ron? trying to have this conversation for a long time. I tried to initiate it on an earlier episode with Matt, but he was already like six beers deep. Yeah. But. Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> referencing a conversation all the way back from, I think, episode like three or four, where you had talked about Cannibal Corpse and referenced Coffins as well as an example of this, of bands who... Wait. This is going to be about bands who like always sound the same. Yes, yeah, so every yeah, album, okay. yeah, every you only need to buy one of their albums unless yeah, you're okay. a big fan. And honestly, I would kind of put Motorhead in there as well. You really only need like one or two Motorhead albums, right? Yeah, I actually I agree with that. No, and it's not because I don't like Motorhead. I do, but I don't need ten albums of that give me the exact same thing I get from just one album every time I listen to it. And I see exactly what you're saying with Cannibal Corpse as well, and Coffins for that matter. But what made me start thinking, because as soon, not quite as soon, but like a couple weeks after you had said that, I went on a uh, trip to America and I was listening to a lot of Cannibal Corpse, and I realized there's Cannibal Corpse albums that I like more than other Cannibal Corpse albums. Oh yeah, yeah, which sounds weird because they are kind of doing the same thing on every album. It's not like like Sodom, uh, who their albums have different thematic or genre feels to it because they had different people coming in writing some of the tracks but i still like why would i like one album more than the other like what are they doing better on that album like what basically the conversation is about style is it supposed to stay static is it supposed to evolve as it did for uh what was that other band on uh, gorguts yeah it started Jesus. as a from yeah. what i'm told pretty run-of-the-mill <clears throat> death metal band and then came something more avant-garde, which I really enjoy. Like, uh, the, the first album of theirs I heard was the most recent one. Uh, something Sand, Colored Sand. Colored Sands is right there. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, and I, it blew me away, because they had come to Japan, I believe. And yeah, every, everyone went to the show, concert. and everyone on Facebook was like, oh, my God, it was amazing. So I was like, fine, I'll listen to it. And it did blow me away. Like, the songs actually go somewhere and do interesting stuff. Now, as a songwriter, the first question I want to ask is, what is style, Tom? What is style? Style is something versatile. It's in the way you look and the way you smile. <laughs> um, I, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to when you, when you start writing, I, I don't think there are very many people who don't think I want to write extreme death metal or I want to write like doom death metal, that kind of thing. So you, you automatically anchor yourself. Um, the, and obviously like the way you do that is by having bands that you love, you know, by so, anchor, would you also, do you think of that as something as constricting or something that actually no. holds you in place long enough for you to No, And it, in fact, Gorguts is the perfect example because I've read interviews with Luke LeMay where he has said he started Gorguts because he had heard death and he thought they were just the most incredible band. Which I think you would agree with. I absolutely, yeah, I 100% agree with that. For some reason, I've been seeing like a backlash recently because it was uh, Chuck Schuldiner's, uh, the anniversary of his death. Like, there were people basically posting like, look, Chuck Schuldiner was an asshole and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, he was an asshole, but he wrote really good music. Like, 
There's no doubt about it. And as I, I forget who I said it to, but I would argue, argue vehemently um, for Death being one of the most important metal bands around. Mm. Like, not just death metal, but, like, actual metal bands. Um, so Gorgut started off as this... I'd already, at the time, they were way ahead of a lot of that old-school stuff. Like, you know, like, you, you get these guys, like, oh, old-school rules... And it's like, yeah, it is. There's a lot of good stuff. There's some really, really cool things. But when you start going deeper into it, like some of those bands, it's not that great. You know, there, there is a ton of really bad stuff as well. And it yeah. kind of like grunge where they just started signing every band who looked the place. Uh, I think that could be said of death metal as well. Um, and unfortunately, it meant like some really great bands got passed over. But anyway, uh, I digress the um Gorguts just went on an insane tangent and that that was clearly him just being like yeah okay there's this start thing but now i've got my creative juice running and i want to just like carry on doing do you my think own. that he had always planned to do that or was it he just felt constricted or or did he just not even care it was just like oh no I, this is what i want to write i don't care about labels like death metal or this metal i this is what I want to write. This is more interesting to me now. I think he was very much thinking, I need to write extreme music. But at the same time, I think he was looking at death in terms of, wow, they can do this. They've bought this to death metal. Uh, they've bought these strange time signatures. So, for example, I was playing, I think it was spiritual healing uh, to a professional musician a couple of weeks ago. And he literally, he said to me, like, oh my God, some of these progressions uh, like classical music progressions like you don't you don't hear this in pop or anything like that and so i played them gore guts as well i played them the really tricky album obscura which oh yeah i think i have I, actually. yeah i mean i find that hard to listen to sometimes but yeah they were they were blown away i mean not in a passionate way but and with that he has said you know i i just wanted to write complex music We'll get into the subject of challenging your audience later, but the original question of what is style... I actually had tried to look this up. I was writing yeah, something sorry, earlier. I, I went off topic. About the definition of style. Turns out it's super difficult then. So I was going to give you a couple definitions from people throughout history, see which one you like, and then I'll give you one that Neil Stephenson, uh, author of, I don't know, like two dozen books, all of which are pretty fun. Uh, let's see. Well, the word comes from stylus pointed instrument used for writing. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, his quote is, The web, then, or the pattern, a web at once sensuous and logical, an elegant and pregnant texture, colon, that is style. Pregnant colon. (laughs) An elegant and pregnant texture, Texture colon, that is style. Which is not very useful, I don't think. I don't find that. You should never read out the word colon. No, like, don't say it out, like, just... Um, uh, hold on, let me get the email, because I actually have more in the email. <laughs> it always ruins the sentence, the spoken word sentence. <laughs> Just throw in the wording, yeah. co- colon. Alas, poor Hamlet, colon. <laughs> Semi-colon. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Cardinal John Henry Newman, who I have never heard of before. Thought and speech are inseparable from each other. Matter and expression are parts of one. Style is thinking out into language. And Andre, what? Well, something French, once said that style is the hallmark of a temperament stamped upon the material at hand, 
uh, Matthew Arnold, having something to say and saying it as clearly as you can is the only secret of style. Which you know, so a lot of this is about yeah. expression. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's that's what it's all boiling down to. But those last three. Samuel Butler said, uh, "The style is the man himself," quoting uh, some other French guy. But and then added, "But then most men mistake grammar for style as they mistake correct spelling for words or schooling for education." Uh, Nabokov, Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, what, what was that? Lolita? Didn't you write yeah. that? Yeah. Said, when we see a natural style, we are astonished and delighted, for we expected to see an author, and we find a man. Uh, so yeah, a lot of it seems to be about expression, um, being obviously integral to style. Yeah, they were always using that in terms of like an artistic expression, like of a a real effort, a concerted effort in expression. But I think the better definition comes from um, this book, Robert. Uh, or Neil Stevenson wrote, where he posed this question. I want to see if uh, you could, if you agree with this. So let's say your mother and your father and your sister, you have a sister, right? Mm -hmm. And your best friend and your girlfriend all write you letters. And in the letter, they don't sign their name. They provide no contextual information that would reveal their identity. And they're all describing, I don't know, like a TV show or some random event. Would you be able to tell who wrote which letter? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, right? I think we all could. Um, so what is it that we're seeing in that letter that reveals their identity? It's something implicit. You know, there's no explicit information revealing anything. There's something there, though. And I think that that is style. That they are expressing something, even inadvertently. And that's what style is. That's what we're seeing. Now, of those definitions, which one is the best? Obviously mine. That I stole from Bill Stevenson. I think you agree. I do like that actually. I mean, but like you say, they they all essentially deal with a uh, a presentation of your uh, yourself, your your response to a given stimuli. And in the letter example, they were doing it unconsciously. As a songwriter, <clears throat> how conscious are you of that? Like, how conscious are you of style? Me? Yes. As a songwriter? You personally, yes. Oh, I do, like, 100%. Uh, I, you know, for for Wretch, uh, doing the writing for that, it, it is purely so far, kind of based on what am I listening to at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, something like Backers. Literally, the riff came about because I was listening to Where Legend Began, the English Dogs album. And there's a really, really cool song in it. I think it's called Soren's Eye or something. Um, and I was just like, I really like how that riff works. And uh, I went about just figuring it out. But then, kind of from, from there, I, I had this one riff, and I think the thing is, you really, unless you're in some kind of like doom band, or if you're in some something like uh, Legion of Andromeda, you can't really sit on one riff. Unless it's absolutely amazing. You know, so that little bit of work, that little bit of essentially plagiarism, um, although I hate to call it that, but that's kind of what it is, creative plagiarism, that turned into something else because I was kind of like, yeah, but I'll put a bit of black metal into it. Blah, blah, blah. On the topic of uh, plagiarism or like biting someone's style, as they say in the hip-hop world, mm. I'm very immersed in the uh, urban lingo. I don't know if you've noticed that about me. I haven't noticed that. No, of course not, because it's not true. But 
it's I have noticed in metal so that uh, no one's afraid to wear their influences on their sleeve. Literally. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Literally. Yeah. Like uh, bringing up like gruesome and death, right? Like they openly say like, no, we wish we could be death. Like we. we oh yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to be them, and they have no shame about it. No one gives. Oh no, they're, they're a tribute. Well, essentially, they're a tribute bands. That's they absolutely love. Absolutely loved it. But they write new stuff, right? They just yeah. write it in the style of death. And the the weird thing is, listening to it, I do honestly think kind of it's a really good album. But at the same time, I may as well put some death on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. Like, for for true working in metal, it's like everyone comes from somewhere. Everyone has their kind of, you know, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of music I want to make. Um, Someone like Paul from Funeral Sutra has a very strong idea about the kind of music he wants to make, but a lot of his creativity comes from kind of emotional responses. Like, you, you literally, if you, if you watch him in the room whilst he's playing and, like, figuring something out, he's literally like, oh, no, like, this bit needs to be happier, something like da-da-da-da. Um, like, he, he knows the ins and outs so that he can actually put his emotion into the music, like, uh, almost literally. But then, um, I mean, I just looking at those records there, it's kind of unfair because they're all fairly original records. Um, but I, th I, I mean, I said this the other day on something on Facebook, like 90% of metal is, it's based around guys just going, I like really heavy <laughs> shit and I can play guitar. Excuse the French. Or I like really... You know, I, I really worship that band. That's what I want to sound like. Um, the the killer one being this kind of, like, black metal at the moment where it's all kind of like, you like the first wave, blah, blah, blah. And um, it's looking at where we're at now, it, I find it really, really hard to think of bands who are kind of the idiosyncratic in uh, in metal. There are bands who do it. Uh, the one, funny enough, I've listened to this album today and it's growing on me more and more, is the most recent Meshuggah album. Really? And they, they basically do exactly the same thing every time. And people hate them for it. Like, absolutely hate them for it. But you know what? Like, it's their own sound. There aren't any bands who sound like that. Um, another one, Wolves in the Throne Room. Again, another band who receive masses of hate. They've taken. I have seen a lot of hate for Wolves of the Throne Room just yeah. online. Um, and I, I never. Not, not even it. looking for it or for anything by Wolves of the Throne Room. It just seems like every now and again someone will pipe up, like, oh, wow, like this kind of reminds me of Wolves in the Throne Room. And the next comment immediately afterwards is always like, they, they blow, man. Yeah, and I think this is the thing with. More so than like bands having their own. Or like keeping a consistent style or like changing as they progress the the one thing that gets me in metal it's like people um people kind of having this like i like this music um and that's false just the the idea you know the whole idea of poses that oh kind of thing. true metal false uh, metal yeah true metal like that kind of stuff bugs the hell out of me because you can guarantee i mean like for anyone you know so many people who are kind of like yeah lemmy's god lemmy's god I bet you Lenny would just be like, if he didn't like anything, he'd just be like, yeah, I don't really like it. Whereas, you know, you get people who have, again, going back to something like Wolves in the Throne, where they're just kind of like, they suck so badly, they're, they're rubbish. I, it's like, have you ever heard them? It's like, no, but I was told to hate them. 
Because um, stylistically, I think uh, when I first heard them, I wasn't really that interested in them because um, they're kind of a sit-down and listen-to band. They're not straight out like grab you by the balls. But they're, in terms of their style, they're, they're frighteningly original bands. Like they, they've taken... So many bands have copied them after that. Or, or just taken them as a lead, shall mm. we say, the, the kind of way to say it. Um, uh, what and, value do you think uh, that that originality has in metal today? Like, I mean, a lot, many people love the old stuff. They want to make that sound. Um, yeah, and good on Judging them, by but... the number of bands, great or small, that are really doing something original and new, how much value do you think the metal uh, community fan base, I guess, puts on that sort of originality? Because they seem to be fine with buying the same Cannibal Corpse album over and over again. Because, you know what, I, again, this is something interesting. Like, a lot of the... I think a lot of why people like music is the physical aspect of it. And you put on a Cannibal Corpse album, you are going to feel it in your mm. chest. You know? Um, again, uh, you put on a Wolves in the Throne album, you are literally going to be able to sit down for, like, 50 minutes with your eyes closed just kind of being dragged through a forest um like someone something like dying fetus you know you're basically going to be like moshing around in your living room um because the sound's really good it's really clean production and you know that they're just going to bring on the all the time and it sounds really really good but i mean i guarantee if you put like a cannibal corpse album on took out all the bass from the guitars and did it on crappy little speakers probably wouldn't be as popular yeah. as many people as it is now because I think that they're the mo- the biggest selling death metal band and, uh, of, of all time I think. at a rich practice not long ago uh, what was it Cannabis Corpse you played some and yeah. I, yeah, and, and and I they, straight up thought like oh this sounds kind of like is this a Cannibal Corpse album? and the, the amazing thing is that's their second album and that that it's uh, called Tube of the Resonated, and that one just got me hook, line, and sinker. And then I listened to the next one, and this is why I think production is very, very important. It's totally different production, and I basically, the minute it came on, I didn't want to listen to it. Oh, wow, really? Because, I mean, if you're going to copy Cannibal Corpse, you may as well copy the fact that all their albums essentially sound... Yeah. Pretty much the <laughs> also same. Also, copy their production process as well. Yeah, and they, they re- whoever recorded that second album was amazing. Did an amazing job. And then why they went with what they did on the third, it was like, okay. Do you think it's necessary for it to, well, if we're going to get into like, you know, highbrow art philosophy? Uh, well, not really. I'm just like rambling after a day of playing video <laughs> games. <laughs> but is, is it necessary to evolve your sound? Like, do should we give those bands more credit for going on a journey with their style than we should with a band who found their niche and they they stick to it and they do it well? Um, which one are we going to call the better artist? Is it necessary to do that as an artist? I think the artists that produce their music without any outside influence, the ones that just keep on plugging and plugging and plugging, um, and in terms of like who we listen to. I think that should just be whoever you like. And if you're influenced by anyone saying like, oh, if you ever have, have never heard a band and you say they suck, then you're an absolute... Ah! Well, yeah, I think we can all agree on that. I can't even yeah, but sort of you person. know what? There's so many people 
someone very close to us I know plenty of times has said he hates a band and then and then no uh, way yeah and then has like gone on to freely admit that he doesn't uh, he's never heard them no like same thing with those guys like what Tom's, possible reason can they give stuff about them. what like what possible rationale do they give for like if anybody asks them well why don't you like them what are they going to say like oh because I've never heard them before that's why like well, I mean who yeah but in, in metal you get to this point where it's like oh yeah I just want to listen to underground stuff and then a band, you know, they get big. Uh, funny enough, an interesting one was um, uh, at rehearsal, one of our bandmates had said, <laughs> I was just spelling out the initial, had said how much he liked. There's only two others yeah. besides us. <laughs> Maybe someone else's bandmates. Uh, one of them had said, like, I really like Carnage. And I was like, oh, right, okay. And... Um, a couple of weeks later, I bumped into, well, in fact, he complimented my battle jacket, uh, Michael Ammer, uh, who was, at, at the time, the I think he still is, the guitarist for absolutely massive band Arch Enemy. And um, I remember posting it. I remember sending it to the wretch thing and saying, like, good God, look who I just bumped into. And everyone was like, who the hell is that? I'm like, dude, it's like Michael Ammer. And they're all like, I've never heard of him. And, like, everyone unanimously said, never heard of him. And it's like, well, uh, have you never, ever listened to Carcass? And that's so... I, I just find that so weird that it's like, you have, these, you have these bands that you love. And when I say love, I mean yeah. down down. He's, he's doing uh, air quotes. Yeah. You can't see that. And it's like, you love them so much that you don't even know who's in it. Well, is that entirely necessary to enjoy the stuff that they make? No. Just the recording itself. Although is I not. can see why but you, you know see what? that's strange. Like when I watch a movie or a television show that I really enjoy, like I remember who the actors are and sometimes I look up like who the writers are, you know, and obviously directors and stuff like that. But it's strange, like for bands, I don't do that as often and I wonder if it's because like even though I've been playing music for a long time, like I've never tried to write music. Hmm. Only very frequently do I write my own stuff. And the reason why I don't do that is because I'm not good at it. I've been forced to come to that conclusion that I'm just not a talented songwriter compared to many of the other musicians I know. So I wonder if that's the reason why I don't investigate the people behind the music as much as uh, you or Tom Smith. Well, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing to do because... Um, so that band I was playing when you came in, Necrot, um, they're from the Oakland area, I believe. And, I mean, just their, the bassist vocalist, I think his name is Luca. Uh, he's in, like, three other bands, like Vastum, who I absolutely adore. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I think he's in another band called Vol? He might be in that. Um, but, like, he's in other bands, and obviously, you know, you find out more about it. Um, just in a traditional sense, like, when you're young opening up the CDs and seeing the thanks list and kind of like, oh, these are bands I'll look out for. Mm -hmm. But um, no, you don't, I mean, you, you literally just need a copy of whatever MP3, wherever you get your stuff. But at the same time, um, as you might know, I'm a big, I'm actually really anti-downloading. Like, yeah, if, if um... you, you know, if you download something and you don't like it and you get rid of it, that's kind of okay. That's, I think that's fine. Um, it's a it's a valid way to listen to something, but if you download something and then you're going like, oh man, this is like the best album, and you're not going to like buy it, I find that really weird. Uh, when I bought that Gorguts album, they announced like their first Japanese tour like three months later, 
Uh, same thing with Paul Bearer. Mm. Like, really small band from... I mean, now they're getting bigger, but... But, um, and they came to Japan. And I remember seeing this explained as, you know what, if you don't buy the physical stuff... Because I, I've heard people say, like... Uh, well, some people say, like, I'll buy a T-shirt when I go to the concert. And I forget which band it was, but he was saying, you know what, how much it costs just for visas? Like, if you don't buy a physical copy, we don't come onto it. Because we can't afford that. Mm. Like, do you think, like, buying a T-shirt helps us? Then that's crap. Buy the album, like, if you like it, support us. Um, yeah, so... I don't know, that's a whole other ball game. But you know what, if well, you download, if your collection is based around MP3 and you reckon you've got a big music collection, then you're a C slash M something. Yeah. No, the, I, I do remember reading something about this, you know, the digital, like the one downside to the proliferation of music online is that it's turned us all into like hoarders, magpies, just downloading <laughs> stuff that we will never ever listen to. I've got records that I never ever listened to. I could pull you out one now that I've probably never listened to. Really? Yeah, I reckon within two minutes I can find something I've never listened to. And I was thinking about what um, Paul from Funeral Sutra had told me in the interview we have up on the site before the release of their second album about why they were not... They had, like, a code uh, that you could use to download it online, but you to, to get that code you had to buy the physical album. Yeah, and where do you buy the physical album? It's like... Yeah, well, I mean, I could probably... You know, get in contact with him and buy one from him personally, but yeah, I don't know how anyone I, else. I think that's the deal. It's like, um, but the, I mean, they his, are getting stuff out. His uh, reasons for that that made a lot of sense at the times. Like, this is something we all worked really hard on, not just the music, but like the art and like putting this album together. If you want it, you got to buy the vinyl. Like, that's the way. We, like, we want this to be a thing that people care about. We worked too hard on it to just. And it's, throw it on it's absolutely beautiful as well. I still have not had a chance to hear it, except for Grace, which is an amazing track. Oh, you haven't heard the album? No, I oh, dude, that's... that's the thing. I, I have no way of hearing it. I, Nobody, have, I, I have know like... two people who have it. You and... Well, of course I've got One other person <laughs> that I don't have the... I mean, that that album for me, of, of like 2016 things, is... I don't know if the Necro album came out in 2016. I'm fairly sure it did, but I saw them for the first time in 2016. It's that album, the Funeral Sutra album, and this other album, which I've managed to finally find a copy of, by this Polish band called Batushka, which, I don't know, but it's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's quite commercial sound, but it's... Can I swear? Yeah, I'll just... Yeah, it it's fucking unbelievable. It's so, so good. Again, going back to Paul as well, funny enough, I was at his place uh, a couple of nights ago. And uh, he was like, yeah, I've listened to it. I really don't like it. And I was like, all right, give it another try. And he, he literally he emailed me the next day. He's like, actually, yeah, it's pretty good. He had, can't stand neurosis. I'm like, dude, check this album out. He's like, oh, I listened to Through Silver and Blood. It's like, I don't even like that album. <laughs> like, Times of Grace, that's the only one. It's so powerful. And I will get, when people are just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of boring. It's like, no, it's not. You're boring. <laughs> um, Maybe you're just boring. Did yeah. you think of that? Smart guy? But uh, I don't know, yeah, you, you kind of get... Like the Batushka thing as well, I, I really am already just so on the train of like, this is an incredible band and you're a bit weird if you don't find something, something really good about it. But then, I, you know, most of the time it's just misguided loyalty. Uh, although I'll fight anyone who says Times of Grace is a poor album. <laughs> no, misguided loyalty, I think that's a good way to put it. 
like I I know for a fact that I've defended bands long past their uh, sell by date mm. just because like no like I I like that band don't I don't I and then I had to ask myself some very serious questions about whether or not I actually like them. Well, funny enough, I I remember Tom bringing up once. Um, this is getting so personal, people. Sorry, um, but. Uh, we do that me. Simpsons line like let's call him Tom S <laughs> no 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 that's too easy to figure out let's call him T. Smith <laughs> but uh, this uh, T. Smith character um, he I was like no man like Death one of the if not the best death metal band uh, consistently across across the thing I, I think all their releases are good and he's like yeah but Control Denied suck and it's like what do you mean the band called Control Denied and he's like yeah you know, and I'm like, yeah, the band that is not Death, the band called Control Denied. It was Chuck Schuldiner, and I think one of the guitarists, uh, he was on the Sound of Perseverance. But it's like, it was a different band, that's why he split Death up. It's like a totally different thing. Like, didn't, uh, he wanted he, a stylistic change. Didn't he pretty much take over all of the direction of Death, like, towards the end, like he got rid of... Dude, he, he was dead. Yeah, and he brought in just, like, studio guys to do what he told him to do, Yeah, right? but, but, like, the most incredible musicians. Like, I, I mean, the obvious one is Paul Masvidal. Well, I think that's a example where, yeah, like you said, he was death. So anything he does, it's kind of death. You know, you can't mm. say, like, oh, it's completely separate. Like, no, like, he, like you said, he is death. So when he goes and does a new project, he's, I think it's unavoidable that he would take some of that with him, because... You know, he is death. Uh, let's I'm... take a break. We're gonna play you. You know, you've been talking about uh, neurosis. Oh, there... if you play a neurosis track, they're gonna be like seven minutes long off that album. Oh, that's fine. Um, is there a tr track in particular? I mean, I think just the doorway is pretty, pretty epic. All right, you heard them. Uh, neurosis, the doorway from their album Times of Not Greece. Neurosis, neurosis, neurosis. You heard it from top. Neurosis.
<clears throat> All right, we're back. That was Neurosis, uh, the doorway from their album Time of Grace. Times of Grace. Times yeah. of Grace. Is that, uh, you said you just started listening to them this year? No, God, Neurosis uh, I've been listening to for, uh, I got that album when it came out because they had an album called Through Silver in Blood, which when I was trying to branch out back in England, people always said, oh, if you can find that, find it. And then I, this album got released and I picked that up basically on day of release. I wonder if it's worth anything. I don't care. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I literally went back home, put it on did what I always did for music back then, which was lit up, yeah. lit up a Naturally. Uh, cigarette and a funny cigarette, put that on and just proceeded to be terrified. Oh, I hate this not swearing thing. Oh man, I'm thinking about just doing two different versions, like the clean one for the radio and then just release the, you know, we, we don't need the all ages availability on iTunes. I don't think that's going to net us any more viewers. Yeah, you know? it's... Yeah, it's kind of weird. So from now on, I'm giving us all blank clearance to just swear as much as we want. JTD, you can go home. I'm sorry to go home. <laughs> Did you see he's released a, bun a batch of emojis? <laughs> yeah, I saw that on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> I literally, I saw that and I was just, I, the first thing I thought was like, right. I was like, like we don't even need it. We, already, we use our own <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme emojis, yeah. which means just pictures of him without a shirt on. Uh, back to the actual topic, which, if you've forgotten, is style and the definitions of... Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but I did... <laughs> but uh, a song you have been working on that... Mm. I don't know if I realized this, this because you told me... That no one can get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. yeah, yeah. I remember you were telling me you were watching Conan, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film from oh, the yeah. early yeah. 80s. And I was like, yeah, this actually parts of this do sound like something from that movie where there's like a like a procession, a march of some kind, mm -hmm. and like a big boom, you know, drum, and then like reeds, you know, reeded instruments, being like, wah, 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 yeah. boom. Wah, wah, wah. That's my impression of the song you wrote. I adventure. That's and my makeup like, impression. Oh, yeah, no, that's, so that's a good example of what you were just talking about, of, you know, catching a snippet of something and thinking like, oh, I could use that, I could put that, I could change that and use that for a song. Whereas... Once again, uh, Paul from Funeral Sutra. We need to get. We need to just get him back on the show to. We reference him often enough. It'd be useful just to have him sitting in a corner. Uh, you talked about him drawing his inspiration from more emotional states. Hmm. Have you tried that? Is that do you do you do your style of just grabbing what's around you and smashing together into a song, because that's just how you learned how to write a song, or is that a conscious choice of? You think like that's the. I I think it's because I approach wretch very much as a kind of like well you know this is kind of our style it's not my preferred thing to be writing in to my preferred genre to be writing in but i think um there's interesting stuff to be had and i i like it when a riff really grabs me like when another band writes a riff that really grabs me i really like that and i kind of do want to write riffs like that um and it just depends on, I mean, literally my writing, uh, like at the moment I'm doing lots of palm muted, kind of like chin 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 Yeah, I've noticed because I'm thinking like, okay, do I have to palm mute on a bass? How do I even do that? Well, I don't know, I, I mean, I've just been listening to a lot of suffocation and like a lot of um, uh, dying fetus at the moment. Um, suffocation be, and both bands being 
if you want bands that have their own style, those are two very distinct bands. Like um, Suffocation, like super technical, super brutal. Um, and again, same thing you could apply to Dying Feet as well, super technical, super brutal, but they both managed to basically have their their own versions of that style. So like uh, Dying Feasts, I'd say, are kind of like the mosh-friendly thing, whereas like Suffocation are almost quite confusing sometimes. Like, they're quite heady mm. with all the riffs and... Um, Do you feel you know, great stuff. that there's any obligation for the songwriter to meet his audience halfway, or is it no. better to challenge your Do you owe anything to your audience? No, I don't think you do. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, maybe Elton John might think that. Or, you know, someone like Adele or something like that. But no, I, I think in... And it, this comes into more difficult territory now, but I think in extreme music, you're, the only thing you really owe the audience is to actually be true. Mm. You know, to be true to what you want to write. And you know what? If you write a turkey, unfortunately that's where you were coming from at the time. Maybe some people might like it, but yeah... No, you should, I think you should always just write what you think is good, which is why I think the most recent Dark Throne album I find very interesting, because I think that was... I think they were kind of maybe writing a bit in terms of, like, what do people want from us? Mm. Like, what kind of band are we? What, pe- what kind of band do people say we are? And um, I'm trying to think of other bands who've done that, like... Uh, Definitely, I there was a band called Monster Magnet. I don't know if they're still oh, around. Oh, yeah, I do remember them. They they were a fantastic band, like an amazing band. Um, they had this album, Spine of God, uh, and then another one called Super Judge. And they, they were like huge my, One of my drums. best friends in high school had that cassette. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Great, great music. And, you know, they, they people were saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, they're space lords and blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, like, they started, like, really buying into that whole kind of, like, this is what we do thing. And they st- just started writing, like, really... I mean, it literally seemed like they were writing because people say we're this, so this is what we're going to do. And it's like, no, you, you guys work better with loads of drugs. <laughs> like, you should just take loads of drugs and, <laughs> and, you know, detox in between albums, but, like, you know, take loads of drugs when you're recording. That's the thing. I feel like with like when a band starts changing their sound, like a lot of their fans are going to be like, "Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it." But uh, bad fans. But if the band changes and kind of starts sounding, <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah. the fans had a good point. Like, hey, you had a good thing going there. Why'd you screw it up by trying to be something you're not? Well, I mean, okay, like how many bands actually do that? I mean, going back to Cannibal Corpse. It's like, how are they going to sound no! without majorly changing their sound? Um, when Nirvana hit, there were a lot of bands. Um, the one that springs to mind, Exodus. Um, I think Forbidden changed as well. But I seem to remember quite liking their album. Um, I think it was called Green or something. But Exodus did some really bad, full-on kind of like, well, okay, we can just cross over a little bit, can't we? albums but i mean and you know they've bought it back because they've always been true to their roots and it's like well you haven't you know metallica's new album it's like yeah, yeah, we've, yeah. We've, people say like oh 
there's this whole thing of, like with this I find it really interesting because there's this whole thing of like there's two camps like you either love it or you hate it yeah I'm in this kind of like middle ground where it's like I don't hate it but you know like if I want to listen to basically not very good Judas Priest riffs I'll, <laughs> I'll probably just put on Painkiller and listen to amazing Judas Priest riffs it's just it's some guys writing an album um, who should be playing in a pub it's not a great great album and it's not like a terrible album it's just, it's not the best album of the year. And I see a lot of people saying it is. It's like, it totally isn't. No, There's, there's really? been a million, a million albums that have come out better than that. Well, who's trying to say it's album of the year? Oh, I've seen a couple of things on Invisible Oranges where it's like, works up really high. But then the same thing with the Dark Throne album. Like, that's, that's been on, like, top 40 lists. And it's like, well, is, it, is that really? I mean, there's some good riffs in there, but it's stale. You can feel that there's no... There's no, like, urgency or passion to it. Like, it's just, like, some guys having fun in the studio. And God bless them for doing that. That's great. But at the same time, like, I'd prefer it if it were maybe, like, 20 minutes shorter and, like, a hell of a lot punkier. But again, you know, like, Fenris is, like, in his late 40s. Well, if we take it back to your own songwriting experience... Yeah, sorry, I keep going off You the uh, talked about writing for Wretch... Um, I, I don't know how you would describe our genre, or I know you hate that word, just the content. Oh, I, I think we're we're essentially now we're like death metal. And it's not you said it's not necessarily what you want to be writing in. So it feels like you're maybe writing in your style, but not your style because it's not. Oh uh, yeah, but that, that's because the music I'd usually write is like. I, I like using music that's kind of like found sound and stuff like that. Right, right. I, I like just long pieces of ambient stuff. Uh, um, but in terms of guitar-based things, I, I enjoy writing it because it's a challenge and it's, um, you know, 90%, 99% of what I listen to is heavy metal or like a variation of that, you know. But yeah, ev everything... I don't know, I think everything I write is based around some form of... Just, I've been listening to this band. I really like this particular style. Have you ever done um, the opposite that we had mentioned earlier? Like, have you ever tried to write something from an emotional state or, like, from an idea or concept? Or is it all something you hear, like, that's good? I can yeah, it's, it's all bait. I mean, because I come from, like, you know, when I was really, really young, uh, listening to, like, pop in the car. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my yeah. mom was driving me to school, you know, like, 70s and 80s pop. Mostly 70s as well, because she hated kind of, like, modern pop as well. Um, good on her. Uh, but it, it comes down to, like, the hook, you know, like, what sounds good, what gets my ear and makes me think, I really like that. So, you know, funny enough, when we go into rehearsal rooms, I get really bored of playing stuff. Like, I am going through the motions at points. But when we get on stage, as much as I don't like playing live we have riffs where I'm just kind of like, yep, 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 this is so good right now. This is really, really good. In terms of like an emotional emotional thing, I probably have to have more rain on the lyrics. Oh, yeah. Um And even then, I think what I tend to write lyrically is quite surreal um, and not based around kind of, gee, baby, come into my car and we'll go for a moonlight drive or whatever the hell. Um because that would be rubbish. I think it'd be great. Well, okay, there you go. <laughs> I, you know, but then, funny enough, like, um, 
I forget which song it was. It must be one of the songs in in uh, in our repertoire at the moment. But I remember Tom saying like maybe it was Vermin, which has sort of quite like mm. doomy ending. And he's like, oh, you're just doing all this doom <laughs> shit. You know, you need to write something black. So it's like, all right, fuck no, no, no. no. And I, I literally went home and I wrote Destroy All Light. And that took me like five seconds. Because it's like, well, okay, black metal, it has this kind of essence to it. Like, um, the chords, you know, in death metal, like, the chords need to sound chunky and heavy. So you, you don't find it difficult to switch between styles? Is that, I imagine that's because you've been listening to this stuff for so long that you're, yeah, it'd be I, like yeah, changing, yeah, a pair, changing into a pair, different pair of shoes or something. I, I mean, I, I think I would imagine you could, I'll bet there are videos of this on YouTube, there, there'll be differences between like how to play something death metal and how to play the exact uh, same thing black metal. You oh, know, so like, it's as um, easy as just simply structure. Yeah. Um, but it, like even like how you pick kind of like which notes you add to a chord, that kind of thing. So what, like a power chord is what, the first and the fifth? Yeah. yeah. So like I think with death with black metal you can kind of go from like the fifth to the sixth and like keep wavering yeah i have noticed um especially in like a lot of songs that matt ketchum would write uh he's definitely playing around with like seconds and ninths and stuff like that Mm. which would require you know your tone to be different you'd have to push like the mids pretty pretty high to be able to hear any of that above the bass which would affect the tone should affect the texture of the entire song Whereas for death metal, if you're just doing the one five and then the octave again, it's all pretty heavy. You don't need to worry about any of that. But then, then funny enough, I uh, I remember you uh, coming in with a song. And oh, I, remember, yeah, yeah. I remember you playing it to us, and I was like, you know what? It's you need you to need dirty to, it up. Yeah, yeah, you need to ugly it up. So like everything, every oh, kind yeah, of progression yeah, yeah. that you think is natural, like don't do it. So when you think that sounds like good don't do that <laughs> uh, and it, it sounds you... so weird but like no I've, no yeah cause you've exactly said that a number of times and it does work um i think one of the reasons i told you this before that i like the song vermin that you wrote so much aside from the fact that we it's dropped it into example. the weirdest key literally like the strangest key that anyone hears nobody writes anything in c sharp but it's because nobody writes songs in that key no one ever hears songs in that key and like you said like you specifically tried to Ugly it up, I think is the words you said. Like, make it ugly. Like, I hear something like, oh, that sounds cool. Not going to work. Got to make it ugly. Got to make it weird. And it works so well in that song. Well, funny, funny enough, you again, you touched on, like, just another thing with writing for me. It's like when, especially when I'm playing here at home, where I'm just kind of like, oh, that riff, uh, no, I probably can't play it. For me, that is like, that's the one riff I'm going to learn how to play. Because... Again, I I personally think, like, and this is kind of uh, for the band as well as for anyone else. I think, like, anyone, if you're not playing something where you're like, Jesus, this is hard to play, like, I have to get my head into this, then I don't think you're playing anything that you could call extreme. So everything we've played, uh, everything on, you know, all of these songs, we've played them so many times, they're getting easier and easier, but... When we first started playing Vermin, God, just that, I remember Matt going mental over that. I remember him doing, like, he got it in the end, but I remember him just doing, like, oh, can I just do kind of uh, strumming? And it's like, no, you can't. You you chug it. <laughs> you chug it, you little bitch. <laughs> no, no, I had to start doing the same thing on the bass because it just does sound so much better, the down picking. Yeah. Um, I forget who it was he said it. 
Um, I think it was a dude from like quite a rubbish band, but I th- I think his quote was, "If you're ever in doubt, always down pick." <laughs> it's like yeah, it basically sounds awesome every single time. But yeah, I, you know, again, it's this whole thing of challenging yourself. I would imagine like someone like Gorguts, that guy's just been like, "Yeah, I've got this really simple riff." How can I change that? You know, I'll take this note, I'll add on this note, and I'll take off the thing, the root note that actually makes it sound like that riff. There we go, it sounds absolutely terrifying now. And that's what you have to do, I think. The minute that you sit down and you're kind of like, oh, I'm really satiated writing this song, then you're probably doing the wrong thing. Like, if you've written a song that's really easy to do, unless it's disfigurement, yeah. um, then, you know, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to make extreme music... Yeah, because, I mean, what makes it extreme these days? You know, even a band like Dillinger Escape Plan, they're, they're not actually extreme in terms of the music that they make. Um, you know, these people are, oh, yeah, it's like incredible, insane, meth rock and everything. It's like, yeah, but, like, they're not, they weren't the first, and they're definitely not the only band to play music like that. So is it still extreme? I mean, their live shows, I'm told, are, like, the epitome of extreme. Uh, again, Napalm Death. When I was uh, when I bought the live at BBC, I think it was called CD. When I was like fourteen, off some giggling idiot at my school, <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, you probably like these if you like crap music." And I remember putting it on. It's like, oh my god, I've never heard anything like this. And to be honest, I'm going to turn it off. It's like too much. For me. <laughs> and you know, I, by then I'd been listening to Death and uh, Entombed. And bolt thrower, but like Napalm Death was just like another step up of, and that that was really when I kind of realised what grindcore was. Um, it was just like a another level. But now you get these bands who it's like, all oh right, you're just a really fast drum machine, and like, are there any riffs there? It's like even when there are, it's like this is not extreme. Like th- this is just people playing as fast as they can. That uh, that's for me is not extreme music. Um, I'd say it's not challenging. I, I, it's not challenging I mean it's challenging to listen to because it's quite repetitive but I don't think it's challenging like funny enough for Grindcore the one that the album that, and I know people are going to shoot me uh, for modern Grindcore was uh, the agoraphobic nosebleed album um, Agoropocalypse where the riffs were, they're so so clear but um, it's just coming at you 100 miles an hour but then lyrically the lyrics are like quite intense as well and I'm sure a lot of you know, gore grind bands and everything, you know, they've got their... Which Tokyo has very many. Yeah, as, as we found out. But, like, seriously, oh, hello. But, like, um, you know, like, it's not really extreme anymore. Like, having having a dead body on the cover, it's like, that's been done a million, a billion yeah. times. Yeah. Like, having a woman being eviscerated. The first metal album I ever saw back and I was like four or five years old it was at a public library actually and it had a picture of some guy being like carved apart on a stone tablet and it haunted me I could still see it in my mind I wish I could remember what band it was what, how old would you have been uh, I mean not how old would you have been what year would it have been this would have been uh, 86 or 87 I mean I don't know how old the album was but like it was just a guy strapped to a table and you know, they're hacking off his limbs and, like, pulling his skin off. Damn, wow. What would that have been? 85 No idea. But like I said, I mean, that album could have come from... It was at a public library, so it probably mm. wasn't a new release. 
But, like you said, yeah, like, they were doing that back in the 80s. I remember, because it scarred me. That's not new. That's not challenging anyone anymore. It's almost become, like, a parody of itself, you know? Like, that kind of... Yeah, I mean, like, how... When do we... It really is a case of, like, how can you call it extreme? If anyone sat me down and said, like, this is really extreme, I'd probably be... Preempt them and just say, no, it's not. <laughs> No, like, I'm already going to tell you it's not. Unless it is actually the band Extreme. Oh. <laughs> now who looks like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good place to call it quits. We already got uh, about an hour's worth. Yeah. All right, good talk. All right, Tom Giles, thanks for coming on the show. All right, say good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Oh.
two tracks you heard were Banquet in the Darkness from Intestine Ballism, love that band. That was from their album of the same name, Banquet in the Darkness. After that you heard Defiled with Fear from Above, which you may remember from an earlier episode. I believe we've played that track, but I liked it so much I wanted to play it again, so there. And that is on the album Towards Inevitable Ruin. Up next, because we mentioned Cannibal Corpse about 20 times during this podcast, I thought I'd go ahead and play a Cannibal Corpse track. I know they're not Japanese, but I want to play it anyway. So we're going to hear Scattered Remains, Splattered Brains from Eaten Back to Life. And after that, uh, some Lurking Fear with Rotting Stuff from their split album they did with uh, another Tokyo death metal band, Evil. Enjoy!
That song you just heard was D-Beat Street Rockin' Rollers uh, from an album of the same name, and that was done by a band called Tiger Junkies, and I encourage you to research that band. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by who you discover are the band members. And for our last couple tracks tonight, uh, we're going to listen to some End All, a really cool Tokyo band that my own band, Wretch, uh, will be playing with next month. And we're going to hear Waste of My Time and More Beer from their album Hop Thrash Jump. <laughs>
I'm not 